circumstances and they look dire and you stare at your circumstances, it's dire. But when you take your eyes off of your circumstances and with the eyes of faith, you let your heart behold who God is for us in Jesus, then all of a sudden it's full of hope. God, you can do anything. God, how do you want to use this circumstance? What are you trying to teach me through this situation, God? Why is this happening? Let's face it. Everybody has times in their lives that are just hard. You feel trapped with no solution, no way out. It's in those times that lots of people turn to God for the first time. Pastor Daniel is going to teach about the people who already claim to be following God, how they should react in such times. You're going to hear how Isaac dealt with Rebecca's childlessness and what you can learn from this as you face troubles that come into your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 24 as he continues his message called The Shift. I pray that for each one of us as we follow God that you can look back over the days since you began following him and you can see his fingerprints on your life. You can see the things that he's been doing and that's a full life. There's nothing worse. Jesus said it this way, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Could you imagine gaining the whole world and getting to the end of your days and saying, That's it? That's what it was all about? That would be horrible. That would be horrible. We find out as we keep going that Abraham was buried in the cave of Machpelah. So that's the same place where Sarah was buried. The only land that Abraham had required during his life, this cave, a burial place. His only land in the promised land. Verse 12, now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebahoth, then Kedar, then Adbiel, then Mibsam, then Mishma. If you need some cool names, I mean, you guys got this here. I mean, Daniel, I like my name, but man, it's kind of played out, man. I want some Mishmas around here. Duma, Massa, Hadar, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedema. That's a good one, right? Hey, Lynn, what do you think? Kedema Fusco? Maybe? <laughs> She's just like, Daniel, no, don't do it to me. Don't do it. Let's keep going. Verse 16. There were sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements. Twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt in Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Now you see this. We just went through the genealogy, the generations of Ishmael. 
We find that as promised, Ishmael was blessed. There's 12 princes here. We find out that they dwelt east of Egypt. So we all know where Egypt is in northeastern Africa. So they dwelt to the east there. In verse 19, it says this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now, you notice here in verse 19 that Isaac is linked to Abraham twice. Again, pointing once again to God's choosing of Isaac to be the son of promise. I think it's interesting that we keep coming back to this. We keep seeing this. And I think it's important that that's the case because I think that God knew that at some point a prophet named Muhammad was going to come and say that God's chosen lineage wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael. I think it's fascinating that the Bible goes to great pains from Genesis to Revelation to point us from Abraham to Isaac. Not that Ishmael wasn't blessed, but the chosen, the royal, God's sovereign choices comes from Abraham to Isaac. And in these verses here, the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham begot Isaac. And I always say that when the the Holy Spirit is redundant, it's because he knows that we're thick-headed and sometimes we need to hear it twice. Do you guys ever feel like that? I just need to hear things over and over again until I get it. It's all about Abraham and then Isaac. Now, look at verse 21. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, verse 21, like Sarah in Genesis 11, they're having fertility problems. I think it's fascinating that oftentimes God blesses people after a long time of seeming struggle. See, you would think that if God was in it, right, if God's blessing was upon it, it would just happen, right? It's like, man, God's on it. This is going to work itself out. But we see constantly that God works through circumstances that are bewildering. We've talked about this, that children in that culture, a whole lineage was founded upon it. And so when Abraham is not having a son or any children, that's a bad thing for his family. Now, of course, we have Isaac and Isaac is married to Rebekah, and they're God's promised one, and now they're having a problem getting pregnant. And I just want to say this, because I am quite sure there's people in here today, people listening, wherever they're listening, that you are in this kind of a situation where you're just like, this is not going well. And it's important to remember that if you are struggling or if you are in a predicament, then you are a prime candidate for a miracle. Because if everything is going well... You have no need of a miracle. But if you are in one of those situations where it's just, I don't know how this is going to work out. It's not going to work out. How is this ever going to happen here? Then you're a prime candidate for God to do something pretty awesome. So it's all a matter of perspective, really. 
When you look at your circumstances and they look dire and you stare at your circumstances, it's dire. But when you take your eyes off of your circumstances and with the eyes of faith, you let your heart behold who God is for us in Jesus, then all of a sudden it's full of hope. God, you can do anything. God, how do you want to use this circumstance? What are you trying to teach me through this situation, God? Why is this happening? Because I know that all things work together for good. Romans 8.28, it never falls out of your Bible between 8.27 and 8.29 when situations are bad. Lord, I know you're going to use this for good. I just don't understand what you're doing. So Lord, while this is happening, bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life. Look at the fruit that God bore in their lives through this predicament. Because look at what it says here. It says quite simply this. It says in verse 21, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, I don't know about you guys, but Rebecca's barrenness was an opportunity for Isaac to plead for his wife. Oh. Do you ever realize that sometimes the only reason, and I don't think it's really the only reason, that God allows us to go through trial is so that we'll call upon his name? Because you know what it's like when everything's going well, you don't really need to call on his name. You're like, Lord, this is pretty cool. Thank you very much. And we enjoy the blessings. But when things get bad, then we're calling out the prayer warriors, right? We're calling up everybody. Hey, can you pray with me? Hey, you're at every prayer meeting. Lord, you got to do something in my life. And that's not a bad thing, but we need to keep that same heart posture when everything is going good. Because the, the blessing of seeking God is what? Is finding him. The blessing of seeking him is finding him. So in the midst of this bad situation, Isaac begins to plead. And again, we, I mean, what a great what a great application. Husbands, when was the last time you pleaded for your wives? When was the last time you pleaded with God's blessing? You single guys, when was the last time you began to bombard the throne of grace in intercession for your future wife? I call that getting prayers stored up in the bank. That's some wisdom for single guys. Man, you're just like, Lord, whoever that girl is, man, let her fall in love with you because she's going to need you so much when she meets me. Did I remember when I was single, I'd go and I'd hear about, oh, you know, this book is great. Like, you know, and these women would be talking, I'd go buy these books, you know. I, I had like a little thing for my wife. And I remember when I met Lynn, I looked at all the stuff that I'd collected for, and it was all about like, why should I be the first to change? All this, you know, and it's so funny, you think about it, I'm like, man, I'm just like, I want to bless this woman because I just want her to be really godly so I can be really sinful. That's a whole other discussion. It's like, why should she be the first to change about loving your husband and all this stuff? It's funny. I wasn't collecting books on being a good husband, but God was dealing with me. But if you think about it, I mean, when was the last time you really just got on your knees for your spouse? When was the last time you single folks got on your knees and said, God, you know who my future spouse is going to be. Will you bless their socks off? Will you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Lord, keep them from temptation. Lord, make them be a man or a woman of the word. God, stir your spirit in their lives. When was the last time we were like that? Man, that's a high calling. And I believe that's what God wants for his kids. So it's interesting that here in verse 21, the Lord granted his plea, 
and Rebecca's wife conceived. And you might think to yourself, hey, this is awesome. But look at verse 22. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, then why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. In verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So things are bad. She conceives, and then things get worse because she's having a rough pregnancy. Twins. Now, I'm a twin. My mom had me, and I have a fraternal twin sister. And I've seen pictures of my mom when she was pregnant. Being pregnant is one thing, and having two in there. Man, my mom couldn't even move around, man. And she's just like, talk about all belly. But then I couldn't imagine. You moms who've been pregnant, can you imagine if the two babies in your womb were wrestling with each other? (laughs) She's like, if everything's okay, why is this happening? She's like, Lord, what is going on? Now, this is before ultrasounds, all sorts of cool techniques. You can see what's going on in there. She just felt it. It just didn't feel good. And the Lord speaks to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So what we have here is we have a struggle that is going on within Rebecca's womb. There's two people and two nations. We know this is going to be Jacob and Esau. It's interesting that this is, in a lot of ways, analogous to the flesh and the spirit that wrestle within each one of our hearts. In a lot of ways, we're the same way. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary to one another. That's Galatians 5, 16 and 17. You know, I think that's interesting. You have to realize that in your heart, the flesh and the spirit are both going at it. And one of them is winning in your life and in my life. That's true for all of us. There's an old story. I've heard a lot of variations of it, so I don't really know what the real story is or if there is or even a real story. But the story goes something like this. I'll share it. I can't verify it. I've heard it attributed to a million people. But this is the one that I heard first. It got stuck in my head, so I'll share it. That there was a man in Alaska, and he had two dogs. And it was a kind of a tradition that he'd go down into the city, kind of like an Eskimo guy. He'd bring his two dogs, and then he would take bets and the dogs would, would fight with one another. Not to the death, but it was, more, it was more like sport. Now, I know in our day and age, especially post-Michael Vick, that's like we don't really go there all that much. But just let the story run. You'll get the application at the end, right? So people would bet on which dog would win, right? And no matter what, this man always knew which one was going to win. And every single week he went down. He never told everyone who was going to win, but he always knew. And at the end of his life, someone said to him, well, hey, listen, how'd you always know which one was going to win? He said, it's simple. The one that I fed all week was going to be stronger. Now make an application to the flesh and the spirit. If you feed your flesh, of your flesh you're going to reap corruption. It's going to be stronger. It's going to have the upper hand. If you feed your spirit, it will be stronger. And the spirit will have the upper hand. And the question for each one of us is which one are we feeding? And if you're feeding the flesh, you have to realize that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, then you're going to get flesh out of your life. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to get spirit out of your life. That's the way it goes. 
So you got to ask yourself, what are you feeding? And I'll be honest with you, it's really easy to feed the flesh. Even in ways that aren't like radically sinful, like you're doing something horrible. When I mean our flesh, I don't mean our bodies. I mean that part of us that's in rebellion against God. And any normal desire can be in rebellion against God, or it could be under the authority of Jesus. So you got to ask yourself, today, right now, Lord, what am I feeding my spirit or my flesh? And if you find that the flesh has got an upper hand in your heart and life, I guarantee if you reflect on your life that you're feeding the flesh in some way. And that flesh has got the upper hand in your heart. So it's interesting. There's two people. They're struggling. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, this is a struggle that began here and still goes on to this day between the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob. Still goes on to this day. Now, notice what happens in verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. And you're all thinking, wow, so Esau looked like Daniel. Okay. His name literally means, Esau literally means hairy. Notice in verse 26, afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which literally means heel catcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we have the two twins are born. Esau was a hairy guy. He's the firstborn. And then Jacob, because he grabbed his brother's heel, he was the secondborn. It's interesting. Remember, the older shall serve the younger. So by God's design, Esau is going to serve Jacob. It's interesting that as the boys grew in verse 27, it says that Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man. And that word mild means a wholesome man. So it's like you have Esau's kind of like your outdoorsy Pacific Northwest kind of guy. And Jacob's kind of your mild, kind of temperate, indoorsy kind of guy. And it's interesting Bad Parenting 101 in verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism in the home. Now, it's interesting, and I, I don't have enough time to really do this, but the reality is, is we have to be careful as parents not to favor the child who is the most like us. We have a tendency to love our children who are the most like us and the ones who aren't like us are the, a little bit more challenging. And it's interesting that Isaac loved Esau because Esau fed him. Total guys. It's like, it's, like, it's like a bro meat thing. And Rebecca loved Jacob because he was a mild guy. Very calming, probably. But no matter how you slice it, it's going to create issues, isn't it? Now look what happens in verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary and Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with some red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which literally means red. 
And Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now notice this. And I'm going to take this really quickly as we close. We see these guys born. They grow up. Esau's an outdoorsy guy. Jacob's an indoorsy kind of a guy. He's a mild man. Now, it's interesting that Esau comes back from hunting and he's totally hungry, but Jacob, he's a foodie. You know, he's got some good lentils made. And so Esau comes in and he's famished and he says, I'm hungry. And Jacob says, well, look, I want your birthright. Now, what's interesting is that God already said that even though Esau's the older one, he's going to serve Jacob. But Jacob wants the birthright. He wants that blessing of the firstborn. Primogenitor is the classical term for it. And what's interesting is Esau, because he's a man of the flesh, couldn't care less. He couldn't care less at all. He doesn't care about the birthright at all. All he cares about is feeding his stomach. You've all heard it, that temptation is always right there for us when we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. You ever hear that halt? It's a good, it's a good little statement. We are often one step away from trouble when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. Esau's hungry. And he's tired. So what does he do? He gives up. He despises the rights of the firstborn for a bowl of lentils. Now, I like food, but that's an awful trade. And the reality is this, as we close. Whatever it is that you are choosing to give up for a little bit of flesh is an awful trade. Giving up the presence of God for a little excitement at a mouse click or a little chit-chat over a water cooler in the office, or whatever. It's an awful trade. I mean, when it's happening, Esau was starving. I'm famished. I got to eat right now. But he gave up the possibility of all of his father's house for a bowl of lentils. And we all look at it like, well, that's just, that's just crazy. And the answer is, is you're right. It's totally crazy. It makes no sense. But oftentimes, when the body is needy and barking at us, we do things that just make no sense at all. It's important for us, don't forget that every decision we make, you're trading something for something. And there's nothing worse than trading something that has eternal value for something that's completely useless. Jesus is real. It's hard to believe that God's got everything under control when things aren't going the way that you think they should. Given the history of his mother, Isaac was probably very sensitive to Rebecca's condition of childlessness. It was heartbreaking, no doubt. But as Pastor Daniel taught, the situation drove Isaac to his knees in earnest prayer to God for his wife. 
This is a good example for husbands to be toward their wives. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. This brings us to the end of the teaching, The Shift. Next time, Pastor Daniel will begin his new message called Blessing Jacob. You're going to hear about God's promise to Isaac and Rebekah. You'll see them having to walk out their lives as they wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. They're going to stumble along the way, but Pastor Daniel will remind you of God's faithfulness. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.